church. We're the church. We're the ones we just sang about. And isn't it good to be uh, this local body? The church is reflected worldwide as we sang and in many congregations that are worshiping today. And, and this is our turn to worship and to hear from God's word. So we, 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 we want to be a, a family together, united, serving, caring, each bringing our, our parts. And, and in fact, I kind of feel like Sundays go by so fast, don't they? You know, you come and you hear and you sing and then you go home. But we're going to give ourselves just a little extra time today. And that's this evening. At 6 o'clock tonight, we're going to have a, a worship gathering here. This gives us a little more time to just enjoy each other, sing a little more, enjoy God. Uh, think about the gospel a little more and just be together. So come at 6 o'clock. You'll be glad you did. God will speak to you. He'll encourage you through that tonight at, at 6. And then next weekend, men... Men's retreat, right? And so that's Friday, Saturday, Sunday up in Aldemont. It's a great big monster lodge, great time. The guys always have a good time. And uh, you can sign up uh, today. In fact, you can sign up on your apps. You've got little QR codes in front of you on your chair. If you do that with your phone and you'll get the Church Center app and hit more in the bottom right-hand corner, it'll say sign-ups. And you can go to sign-ups and you can sign up here in the next five minutes. But don't check out too far, like, right? Because um, we've got some things to think about together in the, in the gospel. Then October 8th is a baptism Sunday. So we have a few that are being baptized that day. If you are a believer in Jesus and have never been baptized, take that step. Jesus says, take that step and follow me. Declare your faith in me through, through baptism. And then last week we announced the new CLT members that have been nominated and approved by you. Um, and so we'll put the list of all of them up this morning. Are we ready to do that, gang? Back there. <coughs> Maybe not. Okay. Maybe not. Maybe we'll not. We'll come back to it. Okay, so let's do this. <coughs> we don't have the names. All of you who are now on the CLT, the ten of go. you, five Woo-hoo. men and five women, there they are, five men and five women, stand right now. If you're in here. Here we go. If you're on the CLT. Woo-hoo. There they are. Some of them. Yeah, many of them. Thank you. Appreciate your service. This is a crucial group to the life of the church, and we're really super thankful for them. Well, we are in Vision Sunday. We're going to do a couple of weeks here. Last week was the first. This is the next one. And last week we talked about um, what is the gospel. We want to be a gospel-centered church, which the Bible calls good news, that Jesus came, he died, and he rose again from the dead, and when we put our faith in him, we are given new life, we are set free, and we are eternally his people. And Paul said in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. And this changed life, we call it real life transformation, that our lives are changed through personal faith in this gospel. And Colossians 1.6 says this gospel is ever-expanding and ever-growing, that more people are coming to him. Today, thousands and thousands will receive Jesus, and we call that real-life multiplication. This gospel is constantly growing. And, and what we were trying to press on you last week is that we never get too old for this gospel. Like, the gospel not only saves us and brings us to a place of faith, but it also sanctifies us. Uh, the gospel it is the grace of God that teaches us to say no to ungodliness. Titus 2, 11 and 12. That this gospel not only saves us, but it also sanctifies us. And someday you're going to stand before Jesus and you know what you're going to claim? 
the gospel. <laughs> so all the way through, from front to back, it is the gospel that saves you, sanctifies you, and glorifies you. Colossians 2, 6 and 7 says it this way. Therefore, as you have received Christ now, through faith in the gospel, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Yeah, so last week we talked about this, what is the gospel, and we want to review it just again because this is the, the thing we never move off of before we look at what a gospel-centered church is for the rest of um, this morning. So this is the gospel. You know, we're all born into this world, and it kind of doesn't make a lot of sense a lot of times when we're born and we come into this world, and so God gave us his word to make sense of this world. And so what we see in God's word is he teaches us, and this really forms our worldview as Christians, is that in the garden when man was created, we rebelled against God. That we thought we would make better gods than he would, and so we rebelled against him in sin, and God cast us out of the garden, and we began to live our lives apart from him. And each one of us do that when we're born. We are born and we go our own way, and we do what we think is right, and we sin against God and other people, and we sin and sin and sin, and so the Bible tells us that because of our sin, we are estranged from God, and we are under God's condemnation, that we are worthy of punishment for our trespasses. But here's the thing. We have a God that loves us, and he said, I'm not going to leave you there. And so he made a way through Christ because of his love and his mercy and his grace towards us to send his son to let us know there's still a God out there that loves us. And in fact, you know, all those sins you got, I'm going to take care of them in my son. And so his son went to the cross and he died for our sins so that those of us that believe in him could be made righteous and put back into relationship with this holy God that created all things. And we call this the great exchange. So here's what we do when we become Christians. We confess Jesus as Lord, we come to Christ, and we hand him all of our sins, past, current, future, and God sees Christ as if he committed those sins and he dies for those sins. And in return, God gives us Christ's righteousness. Christ lived a perfect life, and so God then sees us as if we lived a perfect life before him. We are com completely holy. It's as if you did the deeds of Jesus that's how God sees you if you're a follower of Jesus. That's pretty amazing. That's and good so <clears throat> that is the good news we're talking about, right? <laughs> and Ephesians 2, 8, and 8 through 10 tells us this, that it's by grace that we've been saved through faith. This is not something we do in and of ourselves. This salvation is a gift of God, not a result of works. There's nothing we could do to appease God in our fallen state. And yet God saved us, and then he recreates us in Christ Jesus to do good works that he planned from eternity past for us to do. So we got to get this order right, okay? There's nothing we could do to please God. It's only by the works of Christ that we can be saved and made right with God. We always are accepted in Jesus, and then we begin to obey the things that God has called us to do. We got to get that right. We don't we don't obey to be accepted. We're accepted in Christ and then we begin to live out what God has for us in thankfulness to God as he is transforming us. And this becomes a lifelong pursuit of chasing the gospel. Learning to live in God's grace and his love and his mercy for us, it changes us now and will change us throughout our whole life all the way into eternity. 
Yeah, and last week we talked a little bit about there are always threats to this in our lives, uh, lies that come at us from the devil and from the world. And uh, Colossians, as it explains the gospel, then warns us, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty teachings according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, but not according to Christ. And so there are teachings that come at us that threaten us. And, and we talked about this last week, that the gospel is like a dead center road on the top of a hill, and then there's a cliff off of both sides. My wife was just in Nebraska this, whack, this past week, and she was showing me again some of these farms and these roads, and there's this road, and then there's a four and five foot ditch on both sides. You don't <laughs> want to end up in either one of them, or you won't get out without a tow truck. And uh, sometimes kids end up in these ditches driving too fast on those roads. But we want to avoid these ditches. We want to avoid these cliffs. And the two of them are legalism and license. And legalism is this thought that somehow I can earn God's favor by what I do. That if I behave in a certain way, I obligate him to treat me well and I hold him to it. But this is not the gospel. God's not obligated. He just gives us goodness by just his good grace and 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 favor that we don't earn. Furthermore, we create these lists, you know, of our rules that we keep really, really well, and then we look at others and we judge them by those lists and look down our nose at them. This is legalism, and it kills Christianity, and it kills us. In fact, it leads to one of two things, either a lot of pride because we're really good at performing. Some of us in this room are better at this than others, and we're really good at following the rules, and we look down on everybody else, but we're proud. Or in the bad day when we don't keep our lists, it leads us to despair, and, and we don't know what to do with ourselves. And so this is a bad ditch to end up in. The other ditch is license. And, and Paul talks about this in Romans 6.1, where <laughs> after having understood the gospel and, and, and we're saved by grace, he goes, well, then, shall I just go on sinning that grace may abound? And the Bible says... No, absolutely not, right? You've been saved. You've been set free. Don't go back into that sewer pipe that you were living in. You don't have to do it anymore. You've got the power to live in a way that honors God. Now walk in that grace. And so we want to stay centered on the gospel that Jared just explained, but stay out of those ditches of license and legalism. I think of Ninja Turtles when you say sewer pipe, living in the sewer pipe. But <laughs> Sorry. All right, so this week now we want to take that, that foundation, okay? The gospel is the foundation of all that we do as a church and all that we are as human beings, right, when we become followers of Jesus. And we want to talk about what does it mean to be a gospel-centered church? And this is where we're going as a community. We've been working at this. In fact, um, last couple of years we came up with our discipleship wheel that I think will come up here on the screen um, but in the center of that wheel, we put Jesus, right? That he is the foundation. And then on the outside of that, it's God's word that teaches us about that foundation. And really, when you look at the outside ring of that wheel, it talks about that a risen life is a life of worship. Okay, this is Romans 12.1. So that's where we're going. Our, our, our Christian community should take us to be worshipers of Jesus. In fact, here's what Romans 12.1 and 2 says says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. 
So we set Jesus at the center of our life, and then we let God's Word transform us as throughout our whole life we're becoming more and more worship worshipers of Jesus. In fact, that's the goal of the Christian life, that we would be worshipers of Jesus with our whole lives, all that we do, all that we are, all that we say. And so we have four emphases on that wheel or four spokes there that kind of, we believe, help us get there. So we have prayer, which is speaking to God. We have God's Word right there in the middle that teaches about these things. We have evangelism, where we go out and share others. We have service. And then we have this spoke called community. And that's the one we're really working at this morning. How do we put this gospel at the center of this community? And how does this community then transform us? Now, Kevin and I have been reading a little book here. Um, It's called The Gospel by Ray Ortland, And he gives us a formula for how to be a gospel-centered community that have lives that are being transformed. So he says this. Here's the equation that he has for us. He says, this takes gospel doctrine, okay, so believing and understanding the gospel, plus gospel culture, which means a community of people that are living in the gospel, and part of that is having safety and time to grow in the gospel, and that these things together will lead to transformation. Okay, so we want to work at this equation with you. I'm an engineer, you know, in my background, I love equations, so here, gospel doctrine plus gospel culture equals transformation. So let's talk about gospel doctrine. Uh, We want to be a church. I think we are a church that preaches the word. In fact, when we say the gospel, all of this book is the gospel, pointing us to Jesus. Every, Every letter and every word points us to him and what God has done for us through him. And our conviction about the Bible is that it is God's word. It is completely truthful in everything it says tells us everything we need to know about how to live for God and how to live a godly life by faith. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped in every good work. And I I love 1 Timothy 6.3. It says, It's a doctrine that accords with godliness. Right understanding of this book changes and transforms us. And so we want to we be a church that teaches the Bible. And I always ask as we read it, where is the gospel in the text? Where is Jesus in this text? All the Bible points to Jesus and points to this gospel. So many people, you know, they, they think the Old Testament is like God in his junior high years. He was kind of trying <laughs> to figure it out, you know, and kind of having a bad way of it. And then he got it figured out, and by the time he got to the New Testament, he had it all together and was doing it right, the right way, Right. No, the whole book is a sovereign, eternal, all-knowing God, always pointing us to Jesus from the Old Testament, showing us him in the New Testament and how we can live for him. In fact, Hebrews, you know, we started our Hebrew series, which we're coming back to next week. But he said, God spoke to us in many ways through the prophets and now speaks to us through his son. Right? So he's saying everything that God has said is about the gospel. In fact, I love Luke 24, 44 through 47. It talks about that as Jesus is teaching the the disciples about the scriptures, he's talking about the Old Testament, and this is what he says that it teaches, that Christ should suffer on the third day, rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. That's what the Old Testament is about. And so we believe this is God's word, all of it, and all of it 
speaks about Jesus. In fact, Jesus in John 5.39 says, You search the scriptures looking for eternal life, but don't you know that they're all about me? To look to me. And so this has been our crazy growth strategy at Risen Life Church, that we're going to teach the Bible. Right? This is our number one value as a church. Yeah, don't tell anybody. That's a secret. But this is what we do. We teach the Bible. We teach it on Sunday morning. We try to teach it in our groups, teach it in our community groups. Everything we do has got to be surrounded by this word because this is the word of God to us that teaches us about the gospel. In fact, we've had more and more people this week come to us and say, you know, I'm coming to this church because you guys teach the Bible. You just read the scriptures and you let them speak to us and you apply them to our life. And it's been so helpful to us. So we want to be a church that gathers around this gospel message that transforms us. And let's be individuals who study the scriptures for ourselves, too. Don't just come on Sunday morning and hear us teach. Study it for yourself and gather in smaller settings. When you're with friends, when you're with your family, talk about this precious news, this good news of Christ and what he has done and how it is changing. In fact, I love, like, I mean, you see it this morning. We're giving first graders their Bibles so that they can learn God's word. In fact, I remember when I was eight years old, I came up and it's a very similar thing. The, the pastor presented me a Bible that I still have, and it was the first Bible that I began to read on my own and hear God's voice for myself. And so we have to get around the Bible yeah. in our personal lives and in our churches. Yeah. Romans 12, 2 says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so let's, let's know this gospel. Let's know the God that this gospel leads us to, that we can walk with him. Um, but not just by yourself again, but let's do it in community. This is what we're talking about today, the church, and what is the church's foundation, and how do we uh, be a church that is uh, changed and transformed uh, by this truth? Yeah, so we have gospel doctrine, okay, so that's understanding God's word, believing God's word. That's, that's essential to be in a Christ-centered, gospel-centered community. And then we have, to, we have to add this to now, the other part of the equation, a gospel culture. And we're going to talk about a few things in there. There's going to be safety and time in this culture. Uh, and this author of this book that Kevin held up, he has this great quote, and I'll read it for you here. It says, the doctrine of grace, so that's gospel truth, the doctrine of grace creates a culture of grace where good things happen to bad people. Have you ever experienced that at church? Right? Where God has been good to you even though you know you've been far from Him? Right? This is what we're talking about. That we create a culture here that be welcoming to broken people to experience God's love where they could experience good things happening to them because of grace Right, even though that they are in bad places in their life. Yeah, and we've all got to get this, right? Time and safety teaches us this, that, oh my gosh, I am more sinful than I ever thought I was. Have you come to that realization? This drives me crazy. It's the most painful thing in my life. I cannot be a good person on my own. I want to be so bad, and I can't. I need the grace of Christ, and it changes me. And we all got to come to this place, but then also understand that not only are you forgiven in Christ, even as sinful as you are, but you are loved and accepted, and you are perfect in him, completely accepted by the Father as if you did all the works of Jesus. And that combination is the combination of the gospel that changes us. 
I am humble because I know in myself how broken I am. And I am confident because I know in Jesus how accepted I am. And don't we want to be around those kind of people that are both humble and confident? That's the kind of people we want to be. And as we get the gospel and we understand it to its depths, we become both humble and confident and we live life to the full as Jesus intended it to be lived. Yeah, and we get together as people, we're talking about this this morning in our, in our uh, parenting Bible study, that as Christians we gather together and our purpose is to extend the gospel of Christ to each other. To extend grace to each other, to love each other, to encourage one another in the gospel. It's this message that creates this gospel culture. Okay, So now we can talk a little bit more about how do we do this. Okay, So how do we, we, we got the gospel doctrine and we, we know that we want a culture of grace that's rooted in our gospel doctrine. But how do we do this? And Kevin and I have been convinced that this has to start with us as the leadership of this church. That we have to live in the gospel humbly and yet confidently so that we can then extend that culture to our staff and to everyone around us. So we have to be transformed by the gospel first and foremost. If we're going to have a gospel culture, us as leaders have to be transformed and you as members need to be transformed. That we are following Jesus with all of our hearts uh, and we have to do the hard work of spiritual disciplines to be in the gospel individually yeah. so that we then can come in to a group. In fact, Ezra 7.10 has often been our guide on this for us as leaders. It talks about how Ezra set his heart to study the law of God and then to do it and then to teach it to those in Israel. So he's living in the gospel. He knows what it is. He's living in it. And then he begins to teach it to others. So it starts with us as leaders. Don't you want shepherds, don't you want leaders that are humble and dependent on Christ and yet confident in who Christ is, not in their own strengths and their own capacities and their own skill sets and their own eloquence? Don't you want people like that? That's what we want. That's the kind of shepherds we want. I love 1 Peter 5, 2 and 3. It says, shepherd the flock of God, speaking to the, the pastors and shepherd types. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but as an example to the flock. And so we want to be examples of that. We want you to know how sinful we are. We try to be as humble and honest and real with you as we can. We are broken people, and we suffer deeply in our souls over our own sinfulness and talk about it a lot. I mean, we walk into each other's office and the staff does in each other's offices regularly and go, you know, I really blew it here and I feel really bad about it and confess our sins to each other. It's an important part of this so that we can experience the grace and the transformation of Christ. And we try to, in our preaching, share with you our honest brokenness and challenges that we face and how we're dependent on the gospel so that we can lead in strength, not as people that are better than you because we're not, but people that understand deeply this gospel and encouraging you to know it and understand it too for yourself. Yeah, and then we, and we do this as a staff too. You know, we have about 13 people that gather uh, on Tuesdays and once a month we have an accountability sheet that we do of one another and it's not so that we can check all the legalistic boxes and see how accepted by God we are. Actually, it's the opposite. It's to show how broken we are 
and then to ask others around the circle to pray for us in the things that we're really struggling, to extend the gospel to us in grace. And so we really, our staff is a community group that meets week by week on Tuesday where we're encouraging one another in the gospel. In fact, you'd be surprised how much we talk about our personal walk with Jesus in that time over against business that we got to get done. What's more important is that we're living in the gospel, experiencing the gospel, so that we, when we go into our places of leadership, we can come humbly because we know we're sinners, and yet we can become confidently because we know the gospel, and we can help everyone live in that as well. You know, one thing we have learned over many, many years, me, more years than anybody else on staff, as the older I get, the more sinful I realize I am. I think I'm actually living in a more holy way. This is not an excuse, by the way. I'm not giving an excuse for Kevin to do and act any way he wants to. But I think we recognize our brokenness more and more in time. And yet I think at the same time we're becoming more godly in our behavior. I think those things do go together. But I think we want to make sure that we are just gracious with each other. Uh, that we have a culture of humility and honesty and confession with each other. And we do this through accountability. In fact, I think one of the real problems in churches, all churches have problems, is, is we want to give pastors too much power. We want to think they're better than us and put them on a pedestal and that they are somehow more holy and revered than others. And they're not. <laughs> We're broken people just like all of you. We're just asking you to join us on this journey. And team leadership, as you see modeled here, protects us from that ego that comes with being sort of the big person, you know, and the person that really has it all together. And it keeps you from idolizing us, which all kinds of churches do with their pastors. And so we want to be just one of you. We might be ahead of you in understanding the depth of our sin and God's grace, but really just in this together. And, and I want you not to be afraid of this as you grow in your Christian life as the in the gospel. So it's kind, of, it's kind of like this. When you come to Jesus, light comes into your life, right? But the closer you start getting to God, what happens? It gets a whole lot brighter. And you start seeing around the room and you see more and more problems. So as you get closer and closer to Jesus, the light he's shining into your life reveals so much more of what's going on. And so you have this weird experience where you see exactly how broken you are, and yet you see more clear the love and the mercy and the grace that Christ has for you. And that's what we have to do. We've got to know that's going to happen in our life, and then we live in community as we experience that, and that starts with us as leaders. Okay, so, so we as shepherds lead the way. But here, this is something for all of us to do, church family. Let's zero in here for a second here. This is for everyone to do. To be a gracious congregation to each other. Can we, can we be a place of grace that when people walk in here like you and I, broken and struggling, and maybe really <laughs> failed deeply this past week, we are gracious to them? But we've got to do this together. Everybody brings something to bring the grace and love of Christ and the healing of the gospel to others. And, and we love Romans 15, 7, where it says, Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Now, how has Christ welcomed you? As a sinner, as somebody who has gone your own way and rebelled and done your own thing and in a mess, you're in the sewer pipe, and now God just welcomes you and cleans you up and puts you in the righteousness of Christ, and we are to welcome one another in the same way that Jesus welcomes us. That is a powerful, 
goal for us. In fact, we read this book a couple of years ago called Gentle and Lowly, and I encourage you to read it. But it says, here's how Christ welcomed you. He not only welcomed you when he saw you were broken, he ran after you with joy <laughs> to bring you into his community, to bring you the gospel, to heal you and restore relationship. And so let's pursue one another, even in our brokenness, so that we can be gracious and allow people in. This, this author also, he has this quote, it says, the doctrine of grace creates a culture of grace. So if you really believe this gospel and you really believe what God has done for you, then you should turn around and extend it to those around you. That shows that you've got it in your heart, that the Holy Spirit is working uh, in you. And so we need the gospel of grace in everything we do from Sunday morning church to our community groups, to our Bible studies, to our fellowship gatherings. We got to bring this gospel to each other and be gracious to each other. That doesn't mean we excuse sin, right? As the, as the light gets brighter and we see our sin, God calls us to be sanctified and transformed, but we do it knowing that we're already accepted and God has given us a safe place and time to work those things out in our life that he's bringing to light. Yeah, is this a safe place for people to walk in here in their truest humanity and all the things they struggle with? We want to be a safe place for people, for ourselves. I need a safe place. Jared needs a safe place to be who we really are and what we struggle with. We want to be that. So it's safety. To have this culture, we need safety, but we also need time, okay? And, and this is sometimes a painful reality for all of us. And for those of us who have been trying to serve Jesus uh, and walk in this gospel for decades, we realize that this is, can be slow going. <laughs> we need time. People around us need patience. They're not going to be transformed immediately. Your spouse, your children need lots of time to grow in the understanding of who <coughs> God is and how much he loves them so that they can be changed. And so we want to give people time to learn the truths of God's love and be changed by it. We want to be patient with them. In fact, when you read 1 Corinthians 13, this great love chapter, love is patient. patient. We're going to be a loving congregation. The first thing we're going to be is patient with each other. We're going to be sinned against over and over and over again. And all kinds of people want to bail on churches because church is filled with hypocrites, right? Well, welcome. Well, welcome. Yeah. <laughs> you know, here we are. Yeah, you're right. And we need to take and give time to people. In fact, the, the pace is different for every person, right? All of us grow at different, but some people just take off, right, like a rocket ship in their faith and walk and get transformation fast. And other people just stumble along for decades, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, but they're not really transformed as fast. And we can get really frustrated with them, but no, God loves us and accepts us in these various places and various paces in our life. In fact, I like to think about our sanctification in our Christian life. You can kind of think about it in the stock market. You know, if you draw a straight line through the stock market, generally it trends up, and that's what you should see in a Christian's life, that they'll have some sort of sanctification off zero over their life. It may be just a little bit, or it may be quite steep, but the experience of it day to day is up and down, and you may have really big growth spurts in Jesus, and then you may fall off the cliff for quite a while, and it'll go way down, and yet the trend throughout your life is you're getting more and more like Jesus, even as the daily experience goes up and down and so we extend grace to one another knowing that over time God is doing work believing that he will do a work in fact 
Philippians 1.6 says this, Paul says this, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God will be faithful to transform you over your life through Christ, but it's going to be ugly day to day, right? It's going to be up and down. And so we have to extend each other grace and time to be transformed. And this process never ends. I, the thing that has been most surprising to me is how much I still have to work on having been a Christian for so many years. And uh, we are talking to Buck Buchanan here, one of our more senior members, but he was saying, I keep learning about the gospel and the love of Christ in deeper and rich ways. And our seniors say this to us, right? People that are well past 65 and into the retirement kind of years of their life, and they're still learning and still growing and still being transformed. It is a lifetime journey all the way to Jesus Christ, to the day of Jesus Christ when we stand before him. Band, you can come on up. And so we want to understand if we're to have transformation as we want it, real life transformation, we need gospel doctrine, the truth of this gospel, plus a gospel culture, which is safety in time. And as people have that and this place to dwell in safety and love, they are transformed. Yeah, so here's what we want to ask you this morning. Here's some of our challenges to you this morning. We're going to move to a time of communion to respond to God this morning. But what do you need to do to get yourself in a gospel-centered culture, right? Maybe you're just here and you're kind of on the fringes. You come in, you come out, but you're not really living in community with people. So what is God calling you to do to get into a gospel community? And I hope it's here to experience the grace of God. And for those of you that have been here and are here, what can you do in this community to welcome others as Christ has welcomed you? How can you be gracious to those that come here week by week? To extend God's grace and mercy as you believe over time He's going to sanctify the people around us. How can you be a part of offering grace to others around us? And finally, as we've said over and over again these last two weeks, we believe it's the gospel of Christ that transforms us. You may be here this morning and you haven't made Jesus your Lord, and God is asking you, would you allow me to come into your life to take your sin, to give you my righteousness, to transform your heart so that it will beat for me, one way you can respond to him is give him your life today. And as we come to a time of communion, that's one thing that I think is always sweet to do. Communion is a great time to say, Jesus, I'm yours. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for taking my sin. I want to follow you. I give you my life. And so I hope some of you will do that this morning. We also in communion, you know, we, we celebrate the gospel. Those of us that live in the grace of God, this is a time to remember what Jesus did, that he lived a perfect life. He went to the cross to die for you. He paid for your sins. He's now ascended, risen from the grave by the Father, praying for you. And we celebrate that when we come to communion. Say, Jesus, thank you for all that you've done for me. Would you minister to me? And would you advocate before the Father for me? And finally, as we come to a time of communion, God asks us to get our hearts right. That maybe there's some sin in our life that we need to confess. That as we look at the cross and what Jesus did, this is a time to get right with God. To check your heart and say, Lord, I've sinned in some ways. Please forgive me. I want to experience your forgiveness afresh as I think about the cross. Now, we love kids at Risen Life Church, and so there's many kids in the room. 
And as we celebrate communion, I would ask you guys as parents that you'd shepherd your kids in this. Maybe take a few moments to pray with them, to talk about the gospel. For kids that have confessed Jesus, then we would welcome them to the table to say, come and take communion with us as believers. And parents, you know where your kids are, so I just ask you to shepherd them, pray with them, help them to engage with this moment as we celebrate what Jesus has done for us. So let's take a little time to just pray and prepare our hearts and to take this time to to shepherd our kids and uh, make sure they're ready for communion, if indeed they are. So let me just take us a few moments quietly, and then I will pray for us as we begin. And deacons, you can come forward and get ready to receive communion. So our Father now, we, as we come to this table, we come as a grateful people. Jesus, you paid a price we could never pay, so now we can live a life we never could have lived. Thank you for the freedom of this gospel. Let us respond with joy and thanksgiving, brokenness over our sin, and yet hoping in you now as we gather. In Jesus' name, amen.